Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. The following is a special presentation of the Decibel Geek Podcast. A behind-the-scenes look at some of your favorite records. The stories behind the songwriting as well as the recording circumstances broken down for you and explained by a key player in the album's creation. Track by track, memory by memory, this is Albums Unleashed. Motley Crue's Motley Crue with John Karabi, Part 2. Well, we're back, and yes, as always, we are on a hooligans holiday. Oh, yeah, it's the Decibel Geek Podcast. I'm Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Sinzak, and holy shit, last week, man, part one of Albums Unleashed, Motley Crue, 1994. Yeah, John Karabi was uh, in rare form, and you're going to hear a whole lot more of that. You can, uh, it, it, This sounds like you're sitting with us at a bar, and you really are. That's what's beautiful about it. I, if, if we could do every interview slash conversation that we do with somebody for the show at a bar, I think they'd all be fantastic. Our livers wouldn't approve, but we would have fun. I mean, even when we're in Studio B, we're having a few beers and True. having a good time. So, you know, it always, it always comes out that way. Yeah, and uh, so we've got get to get to it really quick. We're, as I said last week, all the Geeks of the Week from last week and this week, those of you that share on Facebook and retweet on Twitter this link to this episode, mm-hmm. I will name all of you the week following. Right, so next week you can look forward to an entire episode dedicated to Chris reading names. No. It's going to be great. No. <laughs> I'll go fast, I promise. But we, we really appreciate the help, and we're really proud of these uh, Albums Unleashed episodes we do. So we want to get the word out on it, right. and we also want to help John promote his upcoming tour where he's going to play this entire album from start to finish. How cool is that? It's really cool. I, I got a good feeling we'll probably get to see it in Nashville. I hope so. Yeah. I, hope I'll, every, I'll, I hope everybody all over the nation gets a chance to see this because you know we're finding out, as we did last week and definitely wrapping up this week, that this is probably the most underrated album of all time and people need to hear it and if you get an opportunity to see it live you've got to go you owe it to yourself you owe it to your ears you owe it to your brain yeah and i can tell these are songs that are going to sound even better live yeah on on record but yeah so we got it we got to get through track we got to go back into hooligans holiday where we left off and then go all the way through the rest of the album 
So we got a whole lot to get to. What an adventure. What a journey. Let's get to it. Here's our the rest of our talk with John Karabi about the Motley Crue 1994 self-titled album. tell you like how the song came about um it was kind of a, i had this weird riff that was very much like live wire and we wound up doing hmm. a halftime thing of it never thought of it well we wound up doing a halftime thing and it, it was just bob being bob and yeah. tommy being tommy and and we we went through like 50 different versions of pool against holiday but the title was actually from the L.A. riots. Right. And one of the newscasters was showing a scene of, like, people looting and yep. burning shit and yeah. all this other stuff. And he goes, it's a regular hooligans holiday out there. Wow. So it was a title from... Uh, News event. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of wrote the title down. And I told Nikki, I'm like, dude, I heard this great fucking title, man. And it's like, I don't know what it means, but, but it sounds this good. It sounds <laughs> badass. And we sat down and we wrote the song. And then we worked it up with Bob and it wound up being what it was. And, and, and we just kind of, we laid the track down and we worked on the melody and all the shit. And then Nikki and I went back and wrote the lyrics to that title. Yeah. And whatever and it was more about it was kind of more about motley being like this crazy dysfunctional right over the top with everything band yeah you know you know uh cross-eyed derelicts coming uh iron horse we, we all rode the harleys iron yeah. horse between our legs yeah tattoos black manes flowing yeah. you know da, 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 da. so it was kind of about life but motley's life and you know all this other shit so yeah it worked out it was cool what what was what was causing the uh the kind of muffled vocal at the beginning on the first verse what was that a bullhorn a bullhorn yeah which i guess similar to like what stp was doing at the time yeah well thank you but it, it was weird because i just dug that you know and i'm i'm not listen if anybody says that they're not influenced by anybody else they can suck my dick no you you're it's, always on. it's right. you're always influenced by everything sure and i saw uh scott wyland use a fucking bullhorn and and uh but, but even back in the day like I, I'm a 70s guy. Yeah. There used to be a song called Winchester Cathedral. Oh, yeah. It's a great song. Winchester Cathedral. Yeah. And he sang it through a fucking bullhorn. Right. And so it I'm wasn't like, original oh, is, anyway. Yeah. It's a great tone. It's a great sound. Yeah. Like, you know, whatever. So I did, uh, I did uh, Hooligans. I sang through a bullhorn. And then uh, Smoke the Sky, right. I sang a few parts through the bullhorn as yeah. well. Well, with Hooligans... It was that, just a tone. It was yeah. the sound that we were looking for. Well, that the, you know, that was my introduction, pretty much everyone's introduction to you and the band, was that, and then going from that into Tommy's... Phil. And then when the whole band comes in... I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is a Fact. different this is a Fact. different yeah. Motley Crew than what I'm used to. Powerful. Fact. Yeah. And it was just a huge sounding song. Yes. You know. And it got a lot of play on MTV, I will give it that. I mean I remember the video being on quite a bit. 
But, In, uh, until we piss MTV off. Yeah, I was gonna. Well, why don't we get to that now? Yeah, okay, you guys did the. This is a famous interview you guys did for MTV, and MTV was having some fun with you guys, and I don't think they had the interviewer on camera. I don't know if you remember who it was that was interviewing you guys, but it was on the Weekend Rock, and you guys sat down, and Nikki was being very serious about the new direction for Motley Crue, and MTV was like, well. This is a big change for you guys because compared to the hair, was it hairspray, pyro, and, and girls? Yeah. They're in your videos. And Nikki and Tommy both got very indignant and said, What are you fucking talking about? That's not us. And we never had makeup, you know, yeah, hairspray, yeah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Well, then MTV took, had some fun and showed scenes of all of those things. <laughs> right. And then went to commercial brush. And. It pissed off the producers of MTV, and they stopped running your stuff, right. essentially, right? Yep. So, did you think Nikki regretted doing that, walking off that interview? I don't know if Nikki did, but I did. You were kind of, so uh, all, you were watching. Listen, going, while, while it was happening, I was just like, <laughs> "This is like suicide." Well, at the end of the day, the one thing that I think. I, I, I just think that we took ourselves, and, and I'll say we, I'm including myself, but I, I never really, I didn't know Vince. Right. So I had no bones with Vince at all. They did. And I could literally, I could literally right now, I could go out and I could go drinking with Vince right now and I'd be fine with him. Right. I don't dislike Vince at all. No. Let's clear that up. Yeah, you guys never had a beef with each other. I never had a beef, and I've said it before, the fans that still write to me to this day and tell me that I'm a fucking hack or a loser because I joined Motley Crue, you know what, fuck you, I dare you to do anything that I didn't do. Right. Sure. I, like I was offered a fucking once in a lifetime opportunity. Anyone would have said yes. And I fucking did it. And you didn't bring it up. And and at the end of the day, I wasn't there. I, I wasn't like the, the 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 husband that's cheating on his fucking wife with the other girl. I wasn't that person. They had already let go of Vince. Vince right. was gone. You and they called the me. Job. I wasn't gunning for the job. It was that fucking simple. I got offered a fucking awesome job, and I did it. Yeah. Now, it, at it the end of the like day... It wasn't they made you dye your hair blonde or put on some pink pants or anything like that. You were your own person. You know, you brought, brought a whole new dynamic. Well, at the end of the day, I took the gig, and since then, after I lost the gig, I went and I played with Rat, and I've done some shows, and even, even when Vince came back... When we were doing Generation Swine record, I sat in Nikki's garage with him, and we talked. And he goes, "I get it. Mm -hmm. I get why you did this." And I'm like, "And you know what? I get why you why you're back. Yeah, I get it. Yeah." And we talked about his daughter passing away, and my son having diabetes, and all this shit. And we were just two dudes having a beer and just talking about life, and we got along fine. And I've seen Vince a hundred times since then, and he's always been nothing but cordial to me, and I've always been nothing cordial to Vince. So, we're good. Yeah, that's good. But awesome. at the end of the day, I think that um, the thing that drove me nuts, and if I would have been a little bit more of a, 
uh, for lack of a better term, if I wouldn't have been so much of a pussy at the time, I would have said to Motley, you guys are fucking drawing a line in the sand by talking shit right. about your old lead singer. It didn't help Because you're was... making the fucking fans choose. choose yeah. Between that guy it's and the worst this. thing you can do. Getting back to the music. Um, track four, Misunderstood. This is the, the second that song. That, to me, is a, the best song that we ever wrote. It's a seven-minute epic song, and this song reminds me of Led Zeppelin. It's a, it, to me, yeah. it's, 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 it's a mixture of... Led Zeppelin with a Beatles with influence. Beatles influence. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. I can totally hear and that. And I, I have nothing more than that. And it's it kind was... of the high point of the album. I mean, because it's, it's a massive song. When the orchestra comes in and then you've got fucking Glenn Hughes come in. Fucking Glenn to Hughes. To help sing on the, on the vocal. Genius. I mean, how cool was that? Yeah, how fun was that? Was that, that, was, putting that together? That, well, i got to be honest with you. When I first started rehearsing with the guys, we're rehearsing one day and... Uh, this guy walked in. I didn't recognize. I honestly, I didn't recognize Glenn because he had been through some drug issues, right. and he had gained a lot of weight. Hair is short, and so this guy walks into our rehearsal room, and uh, and then we start doing these blues jams and all this other shit, and he starts singing, and they're going Glenn, 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 and I'm I'm still not getting. It's <laughs> this Glenn guy, <laughs> and uh, I walk over to Mick and I go. Who the fuck is that guy? He's like, oh, dude, that's Glenn Hughes. And I go, Glenn Hughes from Deep Purple? Like, burn Glenn Hughes? Yes. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I was just... Yeah. I (laughs) hailed this fucking guy. Glenn Hughes, Glenn Hughes, I remember being 14, 15 years old and watching... I don't know if it was uh, Midnight Special or Don Kirshner's rock concert, and they were running the California Jam for like 1974. I was probably 15 years old. Yeah. And I'm seeing this, and this dude with long hair doing all those high burn harmonies, and and I'm going, oh my God, this fucking guy's amazing. I had all the deep purple shit. Yeah. All of it. Bootlegs, whatever. You, You need, you need the Czechoslovakian concert from 1972 I got, got it, it. Nice. I got it but at the end of the day so we meet Glenn we, so we go up the Little Mountain we do our shit we come back to LA and we're finishing up the record Glenn just came by and misunderstood was up we were doing vocals and guitar parts and all and Glenn came by with his girlfriend and, and we sat there and we go Man, it would be kind of cool to have Glenn sing on some stuff, you know. So Bob goes, Glenn, would you want to sing on some stuff? And he's like, oh, you know, okay, you know, that's fine, whatever. So Misunderstood was up on the the machine. And uh, so we played it for him. He he goes out into the sound booth and puts some headphones on. And he listened to it from top to bottom. And he goes... All right, I think I got it. You know, let's let's give it a go. And I think we played the song twice. And he just sang. Yeah. And he was just throwing shit out there. And we were all sitting in the room. I, I was... I don't know how many again. times I spit in my hand and jerked <laughs> off. But I, dude, this fucking guy is just insane. And, and then Glenn he, said, put that thing back. Dude, he's just, 
<laughs> he just ran through it like two or three times and he did these vocal things and Bob Rocco's we got it and it was amazing like he went from top to bottom and he just sang doing his harmonies and listening to me and 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 ad-libbing and, and I, we were all like it was like a master oh class God. it was it was a master class it yeah. truly was a master class yeah. and i love that fucking guy yeah like, glenn Hughes. there's there's a few there's i have a bunch of different singer influences yeah but listening to glenn Hughes in a studio yeah. was just genius to me. So it's almost like people coming up going, man, you you played, you sang with Motley Crue, and you're like, yeah, but forget about that. Glenn Hughes sang on one of my songs. Like, we had, we had uh, Glenn Hughes, Billy Preston, yeah. <laughs> played keyboards on a lot of shit for us, and I'm just no sitting there going, wait, didn't you play on, like, the like, like, Beatles, right? yeah. the Stones, and, like, all the, and, like, you know, played on. Oh, oh, dude, are you kidding me? Something but nothing means. I'm like, oh, fuck, are you kidding me? Yeah. Hello? And I was just, I was just enamored from their history. Like, so, wow. it was, it was genius. How does a guy like Billy Preston get hooked up in that? I mean, did the guy, the somebody guy knew somebody him? that knew somebody and... It's really a small world. Yeah, we picked yeah. up the phone and we're called, we said, hey... Billy, do you want to come down, Motley Crue? We're doing a record, and I think he played clavinet on Baby Kills and he did? and uh, something you know else. That? He played a couple. He played a couple songs for us. Holy wow. Some keyboard shit. And we wow. Were like, I just sat there, and then he just sat there. He played his tracks, and he sat there, and he played like uh, he played Get Back. Yeah. He, yeah, he's sitting there like, <laughs> and he played all the shit, and I'm like, he said, okay, I can die now. Yes. Wow. I'm gonna nice. stick my dick in my own ass. <laughs> call it a day. No, you're not Tommy Lee. You can't do that. <laughs> no, I, I can, but it takes a little work. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't need to see the tape. <laughs> no, no, no. There's no tape. Good. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to track five, which is Love Shine. Um, I've seen you play this live on acoustically, and um, this song always sounded very Zeppelin-y to me. Yes. Like, this is a heavy Zeppelin influence. Yes. Yeah, and what was with the, what kind of acoustic and percussive stuff were you guys doing on that song? I, you know, to there's be a lot in that album. No, that there, it's there's not. I, I, I don't know who initially came up with that riff for the song, mm-hmm. but. We just kind of jammed it at rehearsal, and I started singing a melody, and and then Nikki just kind of, Nikki and I just sat there and thought about some of the girls we were with at the time, and some of the girls that we had had been with, and it's just a, an ode to some of the girls that we had been in love with, and it didn't work out, 
Yeah. For it being Molly Kruber's note. To all, to all the girls I've loved before. before. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, but it says, um, uh, uh, walked a million miles, uh, climbing up this mountain, you know, da da da. Yeah. It's just about being in love with somebody. And, yeah. and then the second verse is more about being, having been in love with somebody and it didn't work out. But it says, uh, I loved you in my youth, but you'll always be my friend again. In my youth, and you'll hold me in the my friend. Let my love shine. Let my love shine in. And yeah. it's just about these women that we loved and hadn't and and were had been in love with and still had a relationship with. You yeah. know what I mean? And you know, Nikki dated Lita and he dated that chick from the Purple Rain movie and the Vanity. And, and I yeah. I had been married and divorced with the wife and mother of my first child and and, uh, you know, so we were just saying, hey, man, it didn't work out, but right. I still love you. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, well, it's, it just didn't work out. It's kind I mean? of a good moment of brevity on a, on kind of a dark album overall in tone. Because, you know, you've got you know, Uncle Jack and Misunderstood. It's kind of melancholy type tone, but then you got stuff like this where it kind of lifts the mood a bit. Something yeah. like that was kind of a roller coaster of emotion. It is. You know? It is. Yeah. But it was... You know, at the time, there was a lot of different shit going on. There was, yeah. like, divorces. Tommy was going through a divorce with Heather. Uh, I was going through a divorce. Mick was going through a divorce. Nikki was still good with Brandy at that moment. Right. But we we were just talking about life, you know what I mean? It was like, like you know, I, I get up every day and I get a Newsmax feed on my phone. And, and we were reading the newspaper and seeing shit on CNN and Fox News and... And we were sitting there going, fuck, man, this sucks, or that's awesome. Or, and we were just writing about it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, it was things that were happening at the time. So when you listen back to this, you hear 1993. Everything basically. to me, everything to me on that record then is still relevant now. Right. Like, yeah. there's still people, like, I just met you. Like, yeah. Or I haven't met, just met you, but yeah, we, you're yeah. just telling me now that you had an yeah. Uncle Jack situation. Yeah. And I'm surprised and, I told you that. And it doesn't, yeah. no, but it yeah. doesn't matter. Like, you'll meet somebody that's like, oh, dude, I love this chick at one point. And yeah. I don't, I don't know why it didn't work out, but it just didn't work out. You know what I mean? And so we were just writing about things that were relevant to us at that time. It wasn't about going to a strip bar. Girls, girls, girls. Right. It wasn't about shot at the devil. It was just about life. Right. And it's a very honest album. It was very yeah. honest. Yeah. And and people tell me now they're like, dude, twenty years later that record is still relevant. It is. It's relevant because it's shit that happens to people 
every day. Right. right. It every day. And it goes every day. It still happens now. Yeah, it's it's like you could talk to me now about you splitting up with your wife or your girlfriend or whatever. And I could talk to somebody two years from now and they're going to tell me the same fucking thing. Right. So it's still relevant. It's still relevant. Right. And that's the thing that I, I think that's the beauty of that record. Right. It was relevant then and it's relevant now. Even I, even even a song like which we'll get into. Yeah, we're about dropping to. like flies. Yeah. Dropping Like Flies is about all the shit that was going on at the time about AIDS. Magic Johnson was just diagnosed with, you know, Gene Simmons is talking about, oh, I fucked like 8,000 girls. Let's go to track six. Let's go to Poison Apples. Poison Apples is basically a. It's basically a. Uh, if you really listen to the lyrics, one of Nikki Six's favorite bass players is the guy from Mott the Hoople. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we like our Mott the Hoople. We love our Mott the Hoople, yeah. which I love, Tommy love, Mick love. Amazing band. Yeah. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's basically autobiographical. About Motley Crue, we're so it's, fucking beautiful. It's it's you know came to you know Hollywood and Vine with a fistful of dreams and dimes. Yeah. That was Nikki Six, man, getting on a bus yeah. from Idaho and coming to Hollywood and saying, "I'm making this happen." Right. You know, so far I was so far out. You know, they were doing the makeup and the right. flames, and I was so far out. I didn't know that I was in. Right. I had a taste for a life of slime, which yeah. anybody that knows Motley knows that you were into heroin and sure. partying and all the crazy. So it's just autobiographical yeah. of Motley Crue. Would you agree? Some people say this is this song most closely resembles the old Motley Crue. Would you agree with that? As I think that outcome. song that song was very uh, Motley Crue. Too fast for love meets yeah. cheap trick. That's yeah. well put. Yeah. Because it's got that poppy tr- cheap yeah. trick. Well, there's a couple yeah. little spots in the song. You know, there, there's uh, the middle section where it goes, 
plans for disaster. Yeah. And it's a very Beatlesque or Cheap Trick harmony yeah, thing. Totally so yeah. it was Too Fast for Love meets Cheap Trick right. and just straight ahead. And uh, uh, I love that song. Oh, it's amazing. So we're, we're actually yeah. doing a show. That was going to kick ass live. That song, yeah, I mean, and that Bob Rock's credited on that one. What, what was his contribution? He played to that? guitar on it. He does, and he actually played guitar and actually helped us write the song. But uh, the transistor radio thing at the beginning, whose idea was that? That that was funny because when we did the re- we did that, and we had so many fucking people write to us after the record came out, and they went. Dude, something's wrong at the beginning of the song. You have no idea. Like, we thought something was wrong with the song, and we turned our fucking stereos up, and then the thing came out, and we blew out our speakers. Just it was kind of like oh, let's just fuck with everybody. Yeah. Okay, well, that's cool. Okay. So that's where that came from. But yeah, because yeah, the, well, the first time I listened to it, I think I blew my speakers out because uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it happens. Well, that was the one. Like um, you know, like I said we're friends with Jeremy, and I remember before you did the Mercy Lounge show, I was like, you're gonna play. Jeremy's Boys. always said, yeah, we have to do. I told him I was like, you're gonna play Poison Apples, right? He's like. No, but damn, I want to fucking play that song. So. He said it the minute the minute he started playing with me. He's like, at some point we need made, to do poison. It's apples. made for the live show. Yeah. It's yeah. perfect. It's just straight ahead. Yeah, and you know, a lot of the vocals aren't going to be there because it was stacked and layered. You right. do you do shit in the studio. Yeah, but it's it's been sounding pretty fucking good at rehearsal. Man, so I'm pretty stoked about cool. it. Cool, right excited on. for that one. So seven, we've already gotten into this one a little bit uh, with hammered. Yeah, Hammered was one of the first tracks that was basically incubated. It was the first, it was track. The first one. Yeah. Now I read on the All Powerful and Never Wrong Wikipedia that the riff goes back before you, but is that I, not have, true? Have, no. Have I introduced you to my French model? Uh, yeah. Everything She's on beautiful. the internet that you read is yes. yeah. That's hundred percent. No. Um, <laughs> actually, that was the riff. Uh, what are we talking about? Hammered. Hammered. Yeah. Hammered was I had the riff, the opening riff. Yeah. I had the riff from when I was in the screen. Okay. And we never used it. 
all right. And we slowed it down and, you know, we did whatever. And then we wound up working the song out. So the initial riff was one of the first riffs that I showed those guys. And we wound up making a song out of it. The initial riff was just a riff that I had laying around from when I was in the screen. It was, it, it, it actually went back as far as Angora. Really? And I had the riff, but I never knew what to do with it. Right. And I just showed them the riff and we wound up doing Hammered. And then, um, lyrically, I kind of followed Nikki's lead on it um, from things that they said, but it is, yeah, it's it's about it was it was it was a fuck you defense. It was totally. I didn't really want it to be. Yeah, it, well, it, not, it's it was, not coming from your standpoint. I mean, that's coming. From I, I kind of filed Nikki's lead, right. it was, but it was a fuck you dimension. Okay, but I mean, that's all oh, kind yeah. of cinched the role in the band, right? I mean, that was what made them. We had it musically, and then you know, a week later, we round, we got together and we started doing lyrics. And, but it was it was definitely. <laughs> It was definitely a fuck you to Vince. Did you ever get I to that point say. when you were writing and be like, hey, wait a minute, this All is right, Vince Neil. We need to back it down a little bit. Let's yeah. not be so blunt. Let's just say your blonde hair sucks. Yeah. And, you know, let's take that there. And I was trying to make it about a lot of people that I had met in L.A. Right. Let, I, I'm like, let's just leave it vague. But if if Nikki could have said Vince in the song, it, you. yeah, yeah, it would have been in there. Yeah, <laughs> So there was that. I mean, cool. there was I that much that. acrimony with those guys. I mean, like they hated each other that much at the time. It's hard to believe they're still working together after all that. I mean, it's just it's honestly business, right? Yeah, it is business. It's business now. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, I'm speaking out of turn because I'm not there. Oh yeah. But from different things that I've heard from all of them. They still feel the same way about each other. You know what I mean? So there's money to be made. Though. It's mo there's money to be made, and they're making it. Yeah. And you know. And I guess they're making want, the old school yeah. fans happy. I guess so. Whatever works. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So let's go from hammered into till death do us part, which, you know, kind of an ironic title considering what wound up happening. Because I'm sure at the time you felt this is this is it. This is my band, right? I mean. I mean, did they did they make you feel that at home? Yes. Or did you feel like, oh, I'm being tested all the time nope. here? They made me feel that at home. Right. In the very beginning, um, I think I was in the band three weeks, and they bought me a Harley Davidson, welcomed me to the club, and and we we went on rides together and all this different shit. But um, that weird chord it was just it was a weird thing like Nikki was just 
fucking with somebody in the room. And he, and he hit a G and a, and a B flat yeah. on his bass. He went, bam, bam. And it's a like, great chord. Yeah, it was, it was, it was off. It was weird. And we were all like, we're like, yeah, well, well, fuck. Wait, wait, what is that? What, what, what did you just do? And he just started playing his thing. And it, it basically, we started working on the music. We didn't have a title, but then Nikki and I started writing lyrics for it. There was this old phrase that my uncle used to say to me and my dad in Philly when I was growing up. They're like, hey man, you know what? At the end of the day, it's me, myself, and I. So, I love, yeah, I love that line. And, and yeah. it's like, you make mistakes. You do things right, you do things wrong. Right. At the end of the day, it's me, myself, and I till death do us part. Yeah. That's where that came from? That's where it came from. And we sat down and we wrote the lyrics and I love that song. Oh, it's an amazing song. Because it, it, it was... The meaning was there. Yeah. And then we sat down and we wrote about, you know, you know, people talking about... You know, Motley was a huge band, kind of ridiculed and... Oh, that guy's not a great player, or this guy's not, or that, oh, they're just a cheesy 80s band, or whatever the fuck the deal was. I do what I do. I make mistakes. I stand by them. I'll accept responsibility. You gotta own it. I gotta own it. It's ownage. It's me, myself, and I. Until death do us part. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what the song's about. Walk my walk, talk my I walk my walk and I talk my talk. I'll fucking do shit wrong. I'll do shit right. I'll deal with it later. Whatever. But this is my life and I don't give a fuck whether you like it or not. Right. And that's Motley Crue. Yeah. That's Motley Crue. And wasn't that initially going to be the title of the album? It was. I have the tattoo on my leg to prove it. Right. <laughs> So it was going to be called Till Death Do It Part. It was going to be called Motley Crue Till Why Death Why did that change? We put it out there. I, I don't know how we put it out, but we we kind of put it out there for a while. Yeah. And it was literally seven, eight months, a year yeah. before the album came out. We all went and got the tattoo. And... By the time we finished the record, we're like, well, I think we need to change the name of the record. Like, everybody's kind of ready for this. All right. We just wanted to go a little left. Yeah. You know, 
we were going to change the name of the band. I was going to say, while we're on this, yeah, let's talk yeah. about this. We were gonna, that's one thing that's always been a, a point of contention with this is that a lot of people will, you know, in retrospect say, man, if they would have just called it something besides Motley Crue, it would have been huge. Right. Because then the Motley Crue fans... You know, and we knew the this. The stigma would have not we, been uh, we, At the end of the day, when we were doing the record, we were actually thinking about calling it something other than Motley Crue. Crew 94, I was 94, were names whatever. Them. We were thinking of a bunch of different names. But at the end of the day, Motley had just signed a massive record deal with Electra for like $50 million. And then you got agents and lawyers and managers, and everybody was like looking at their commissions, and, and they're like, if you guys call it something else... You're gonna have to go back to the beginning and start over again. You're, right. gonna to, you're, like you're not. You're not gonna get two hundred thousand dollars a night. Right. You're gonna get twenty five thousand a night or fifty thousand, whatever, whatever it would have been. Right. And you're gonna have to work it back up to where you yeah, are now, starting over. So all the people that had their hands out were, they were, you can't do that. Yeah. Stay with what works. Let's just call it Motley, and let's you know. Was there a decided? Was there a decided name? Yeah. Was there anything you guys no, were leaning towards? I, I I can't at the, at this. I couldn't tell you what we were thinking. I didn't about. know if Generation Swine was one of no, the names. No, it wasn't. But I know at one point Nikki had talked about calling. Uh, he had talked about calling Motley uh, Christmas. Yeah. So like we were thinking days. of all these different names. Oh, let's call it Christmas. Let's call it this or whatever. Yeah. But everybody else was everybody else that had their hand out yeah. was gone. You can't do that. Yeah. So we went with Motley. And then later on, six months later, we were like, we probably shouldn't have called it Motley. And we're like, fuck like, you. you thanks you're a lot, assholes. Thank, yeah. Right. You, were the one, you were the ones that told us to fucking call it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. That you well, had to call it. Yeah, Motley. we had to call it Motley because we just signed a fifty million dollar record deal with Electra, and all this shit. And you were the ones that talked us out of this. Right. So, yeah. Real easy to come back later and say, well, you probably shouldn't have changed it. Right. So then, you know, you talk about the album name, you know, where it was originally going to be called "Till Death Do Us Part." Why call it? You know, why make it a self-titled album? What was, was that, that because of Metallica? You know, I I don't know, and I, to the best of my recollection, I just want to say that it was because. We felt that we were redefining ourselves. Yeah. So let's just go all in. And Nikki played the best he's ever played. Oh, sure. Mick played the best he's ever played. Tommy played the best he's ever played. I sang the best I've ever sang. Yeah. And we just said, you know what? It's about the music. It's about the record. We're Motley Crue. Let's just call it Motley Crue. Right. Now I could be totally wrong on that. Those guys may argue that point. I I don't even remember why we did it, but I know even when we went on stage, we wanted to be very. We wanted everything to be. There was no crazy drum solos. There was no. Not a lot of pyro. Right. Not a lot of bullshit. It was the songs. We were very stripped down. We just wanted people to recognize us for the fact that we could actually play and fucking play good songs. 
That's so it. at that point, it's almost like a self-titled debut yes. of a new Motley Crue. Yeah, kind of. I get well, that. that and having to follow King's X every night was a challenge. Those guys and it was, yeah. and it was, <laughs> and I think, to be honest with you, not to sound cocky, I think we delivered every night. No, I believe you. No, I think we delivered every night. Yeah, you know what I mean. Definitely. Um, okay, so we'll go to track nine, which is "Welcome to the Dub." Definite uh, traveling Riverside Blues type sound of this song in my opinion. Well, there's an open tuning of some slide guitar in it and all this other shit, but again, lyrically, it's about shit that was going on at the time. Uh, you know, voting shit, you know, just political bullshit, all the stuff that was going on. And it says, say, say what you want to say be what you want to be. Right. I don't want to be any part of your stupid motherfucking disease. Yep. I'm I'm just doing my own thing. Yeah. I'm being a good guy. I'm moving forward. I'm doing my thing and fuck the rest of the world. I'm just making I'm being my own person. Yeah. I'm not following anybody else's lead. Right. I'm not I'm just being who I am. Initially was called dancing in a dancing in a hole. Oh really? But we rewrote it like literally like five or six <laughs> times, and we wound up coming up with "Welcome to the Numb." Right. Welcome to the Numb basically means you're just so fucking numb from all of the news information that you're getting. Yeah. You're just you get desensitized. Uh, you're yeah. kind of desensitized about everything. Right. I just want to be my own guy and just fucking move forward. It's kind of a you know, throwing your hands up in the air type Throwing your hands up in the air yeah. and fuck you and your viewpoint. Yeah. I don't really give a shit. I'm this guy and I'm moving forward. I didn't forward. realize there was so much rebellion in the there lyrics. Was, there, was a lot, there was a lot of rebellion. But, like I said, Nikki and I were very tuned into what was going on at CNN, yeah. Fox, in the news, and we were just writing about shit that bothered us. Right. You know what I mean? And we were like, okay, 
So we sat down, we did Welcome to the Numb. Lyrically, if you really listen to the lyrics and, and all the phrases and all the little lines in there, it's just like, you can do whatever you want to do. But I'm, I'm just taking this path. Like, right. I don't give a shit. Like, fuck you. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I'm a good guy. You're a good guy. We're, we're good. Contrary to what the book says, right. the cover says, we're actually good guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. I saw Nikki Six, and we were driving in Nikki's car going to rehearsal, and we saw a pregnant woman on the side of a exit of a freeway in a hundred degree weather that was probably eight months pregnant and we were at the thing and she was there with her husband and they were homeless and holding a sign and and Nikki looked around and he's like hey man how much money do you guys have in your pocket and we all took money out of our pockets and we gave it to Nikki Okay. And he wound up handing this chick and her husband like 500 bucks. Wow. Nice. And he's like, you know what, man? Go get a hotel room. Get out of the sun. You're pregnant. And so wow. contrary to what people read about Motley, there was heart there with Nikki. There was heart there with Tommy. There was heart there with Mick. Yeah. And with me. And and so we gave this these people like money. And it was like, go take care of yourself, man. Like, you know. Right. Go do your thing, like, whatever. So, welcome to the numb is like, fuck, man. There's like, we're so desensitized about everything that we don't really pay attention to your neighbors, right, or your friends, or, or, or just life in general. You know what I mean? And, and so you guys really went stripped down to just raw human emotion on this album. It was, it, it really was. Yeah. I, I mean. I I can't stress it enough. Like it was truly about things that were affecting us at that time. You well, know? It's, it's just obvious. Makes you realize. I mean, Nikki, when interviewed about this song later, said that this song barely made the record because it had too much of the old school Motley vibe to it. Well, we we couldn't, like I said, it was called Dancing in a Hole before. And we, we fucking yeah. rewrote it five times. Right. And it was probably the most similar to anything that they had done before uh if you listen to primal scream or whatever. i do love mick's slide playing on oh mick is a beast yeah, yeah. i don't give a fuck what anybody says oh, mick amazing. is one of the most underrated guitar Absolutely. players ever yeah for sure i love oh that yeah man well he writes amazingly tasty he, you know what and yeah you can sit here i can sit here right now and go hey can you hum me the guitar solo to red hot and you or, can. Oh, I can. Or can you run me, uh, hum me the solo to Without You? Yeah, yeah. I can. Ten, ten years later. Yeah. Or can you hum me the solo to Mulligan's Holiday? Yep. And you can. Yeah. You know? Oh, he's great. He's a genius guitar player. He really is. Very underrated. I'm excited for his uh, solo album that I heard he's working on. Yeah. We'll be talk right. about that later. Yeah, That'll yeah, be yeah. another interview. Yeah, we'll right do that. Um, okay, so let's move on to... Probably my favorite riff on the album, which is Smoke the Sky. I think maybe yeah. my favorite message. I think this is, well, that's the message too.
this is my opinion is the closest Molly crew ever got to thrash metal. Right. The riff is fucking awesome. It's a riff yeah. that Tommy came up with. Really? Tommy can't play guitar great, yeah. so he used to detune the yeah. guitars and just come up with these riffs. And Tommy actually came up with, to be perfectly honest with you, the original riff to. Very simple. Tommy came up with the riff to Uncle Jack. Really? Tommy came up with the riff to Smoke the Sky. Very open and just credit is due to him for that. Yeah. No. Wow. That's cool. Tommy came up with that. That riff. And and then it was weird. Like you know, this was our. You know, we were all smoking weed and whatever. And we had, Nikki had read a story in, um, what the fuck is the name of that magazine? Uh, Circus Hits Writer. No, no. High Times? No. Uh, Hold on. Guccione. Oh, uh, Spin. No. Omni. Omni? Omni Magazine. Okay. Did a story on Hot. Yeah. How uh, back in the 40s, they would test people on smoking weed and then do their IQ, like how their IQ would change. Yeah. Like, you would have uh, this IQ, like a lower IQ, and then you'd smoke pot just a little bit. Not crazy, but smoke a little weed and then read the same book that you read when you weren't smoking pot, and for some reason they would retain more of the book if they were smoking pot, only because it makes you a little maybe paranoid or whatever, and you just, you'll read things like you zone in more when you're smoking weed. Bill Clinton said, oh, I smoked pot, but I didn't inhale. Yeah, Apparently, and in, in the magazine that we read, it said that John F. Kennedy had uh, because he had chronic back back issues, yeah. smoked pot to help with his back issues, and all this weird well, shit. He was banging Mar- Marilyn Monroe. And, well, listen, you know, <laughs> if you're banging Marilyn Monroe, your back is probably going to be a little out of shape. That's my point. So you got to smoke a little weed, but whatever. But it was just it was it. We read this story about the positives. Of weed, yeah. And back then, he didn't talk about that and as they much. Did, as they yeah, did. Well, hell no. Back we then, he wrote a song. Weed is drugs, drugs are bad. We wrote a song about. Let's not judge, <laughs> but you know what? Pot me. Yeah. Maybe it's not good for us, but maybe it is. Yeah. Let's let let's not let's not judge until the verdict is definitely in. Yeah. You know what I mean. So we wrote a song called Smoke the Sky. Yeah. And That's one thing the world's improved on well, all these years later. Not mass- yet. A little more accepting. It's getting there. It's a little more accepting, but not quite. I was a massive no, we're, we're the still time, so not quite yet. Until, we'll they, until they make it legal in every state and tax it like cigarettes. They need yeah. to. They need to do There's that. Money to be made they there. could be they could the government could make money and everybody would be happy. They'd smoke a little weed. And you know what? There's a lot of people that have sleeping issues yeah. or pain issues oh, yeah. cancer, or whatever. Cancer patients. Cancer patients. Yeah. Uh, you know what? They could go to a fucking store, a dispenser, buy a little weed, go home, smoke some weed, and sleep 
Yeah. Eight hours it's like a not fucking the baby. Horrid, horrible thing that people make it out to be. Listen, at the end of the day, it's crime. You know, at the end of the day, it's a plant. It's right. what it is. And yeah. you know what? Not to be religious or spiritual, but if you want to sit here and go, God created Earth. Well, he made that fucking plant too. Exactly. So it say in the Bible, he put you know, it here for a fucking it? reason. Right. Yeah. He put it here for a reason. Well, while we have you on, Mike, I want to thank you for the lyrics. Marco Polo hailed it in heaven. Socrates inhaled it too. Mr. President, tell the truth. <laughs> fucking poetry. But 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 in the Omni magazine, and we're only going by what we read in the Omni magazine. Right. Uh, they were saying that it's common knowledge that Marco Polo smoked it, Socrates used to smoke weed, All right. and we just said, "There you go, Bill Clinton, Mr. President." Yeah, it's like, come on, just tell the truth. Yeah, quit telling right. half truths. Don't say that I smoked it, but I didn't. Yeah, know. then why bother? Fuck right. you. Yeah, you smoked it. Don't believe it. <laughs> no, listen, you didn't get a blowjob in the White House either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> W never did. No, none of them ever did anything. Nobody ruined any blue dress. Listen, I would if I saw your wife. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so you will not be voting for Hillary a couple of No, years. I didn't say that. <laughs> we touched on it earlier, but dropping like flies, I hear a, a Black Sabbath influence in this song. Yeah, you talk, I, you talk about Deep Purple, you talk about Zeppelin. How big of a Sabbath fan were you? Huge. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I saw Sabbath back in the day. Uh, look, I'm a little older than most of the people in this room. All of the people in this room, actually. And at the end of the day, I saw Sabbath back in their heyday. And When did you see Sabbath? Oh, I, dude, I was 13, like 72, 74, wow. 73, whatever. I saw their last tour on uh, what, what was the album they did. All the original members, the last tour. Never I didn't say die. What it? Never yeah. Say die? Well, yeah. no. Is that never say die? It was or sabot no. sabotage? No, never sabotage. Say I think was the last record they did. Yeah. Wasn't it? I don't know. Uh, or check <laughs> your <laughs> check your yeah. I don't know. But I saw them. Us here how we do our homework. Always. Next time I saw Ozzy, he was he had his own band. All right. And Randy Rhodes had just died like. A month before All right, that. so it was like 83 or 82. Yeah. Yeah. But I saw them way prior to that. I saw them on, like, Master of Reality. Yeah. And like, all the fucking... Yeah. And I was a huge fan. Yeah. To me, like, to me, this is what I was saying earlier. It's not that I didn't like a lot of the music from the 80s, but to me, my iPod... I had my music collection is everything from probably when the Beatles well I have the entire Beatles catalog sure. but my favorite music yeah. is probably from when the, the time when the Beatles did Revolver right when they started getting a little psychedelic yep. and that yeah, from Revolver to 1980 back in black there's 15 fucking yeah. years of music there yeah that was that, your, that's your era yeah yeah because I could go to shows and see, which I saw on the last Sabbath tour, I saw Black Sabbath, the opening act, Slade, All right, I, and then I think Rick Derringer was the, the first act. That's a nice bill. So, but it was very, it was, if you think about it, it was very eclectic. You sure, had, yeah. The metal gods, 
then this British pop, and right. then blues guy. You right. Know? And I'm like, this is awesome. Right. And I, like, I saw Yes with, on the Going for the One tour, with an opening act. I'm going, who the fuck are these guys? And it was like Rory Gallagher, some blues guy. Greg is our player. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going, that was the thing to me. Like, you could go see one band yeah. and be turned on to a different, a well, they weren't afraid to take chances. genre yeah. of music. You don't get that now. You don't get it now. Everybody's like, oh, uh, let's do Nickelback, oh. Stained. How and, dare you? And it's, <laughs> no, 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 but it's just all yeah. the same shit. Right. And well, if you like that, you'll definitely like this. You'll like you'll these other two like bands. Yeah. No. And it's not about that. Like, that's the beauty of Woodstock or Cal Jam, the first right. Cal Jam. You had Sabbath, Deep Purple. You had Santana. You had a band called Rubicon. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? You had yeah. Santana. You had all these different genres of music. And that was the beauty of those festivals. Yeah. And even when we did the Motley thing, the Motley tour, Nikki, we all talked and we wanted to do a tour where it was like, and we couldn't get anybody to agree. But we wanted to go out and do a tour where it was Motley, Pantera, oh. the Ramones, and like, and then like a folk person. Wow. Like a folk artist. Yeah. And then like another like a pop band well if you had like Motley, Pantera the Ramones and King's X I would have been able to die because yeah. that's like King's the X, ultimate fucking bill King's X was I bet you had to work hard to get them on well, the bill no no but we did yeah but we wanted to do more of a like kind of a Lollapalooza thing yeah but more eclectic right Motley Show off Ramones uh, I know at one point we were talking about Motley Ramones Pantera Johnny Winter. Really? Oh, yeah, it was badass. like this totally eclectic all-day festival. Yeah. And we couldn't make it happen because oh. nobody could agree. Record companies were like, no, don't, don't too, do that, don't do this, different. don't do that, don't do that. And was, we were was like, the record oh. company trying to send you out with bands like was, Warren and Poison and guys like that? It was record companies and managers. Like, We even talked to Pantera because at that point they had that... Their, the record in 93 that came out Far Beyond Driven yes yeah and we're and we were friends with them they were at our record release party in New York yeah and we're like come on let's do some shows together yeah. and they were all about it that would have been awesome but then the managers got involved and they're like nope mm. and and it went to the we were talking money and then da, 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 and then we even came back to them and said okay you guys have a number one record we'll open for you yeah, yeah. And they still wouldn't do it. Next man, it wasn't the band, though. It wasn't the band. It was the record labels, the managers. It was the suits. And we couldn't make it happen. But we wanted to do something so fucking cool. Have Motley, Motley, Pantera, the Ramones, Johnny Winter, and then like a folk artist. That's awesome. That would have been crazy. And it would have been awesome. Fucking amazing. I want to stop and give credit to the guys in Motley Crew, including you, because that's a very forward thinking thing. Because you easily could have said, I want to hog all the spotlight for myself. We didn't you, want that. You guys wanted to turn people. We on to wanted other to turn stuff, people on to other Which music. is a rare thing in that in that industry. Yeah. Yes, we wanted to turn people on to like Mick and I 
more than probably Tommy and Nikki. Mick and I love Johnny Winter. Oh, sure. And and then Tommy loved Pantera, and Tommy and I loved Pantera. Yeah. And then Nikki liked, you know, whatever. And we just wanted to do something that was a package. Yeah. That was a stupidly eclectic, that we could go out and please everybody right. for a $25 ticket. Well, it would have been fun. It would have been sure, fun. you got to imagine, you know, the old school Johnny Winter fans would have come out and maybe got turned on to Pantera and Molly Crew. And the Molly Crew fans would come out and got turned on to the Ramones and Pantera, you know? And, yeah. and likewise with all that. It would have been a, a been beautiful yeah. multi-sourcing thing. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been amazing Yeah, had we been able to make it work. So we just couldn't make it work. With that said, with Dropping Like Flies, I know you were a big into early Sabbath. Nikki, and you know, like, I know Mick is a big fan of like old Paul Butterfield blues band. Yes. Nikki was big into the New York Dolls. I never heard a lot of Motley Crue's background about Sabbath. Did they take to that really quickly? Were they into the old Sabbath stuff too? No, you know, honestly. Or did you bring I, that to the table? But, but that, that's the thing. When we were writing the material, we just jammed. Yeah. And there was no thought process. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, hey, let's make this like Zeppelin or let's make this like. Right. Like, now, to me, to me, you're hearing Sabbath in Dropping Like Flies. Yeah, totally. But I hear Sabbath a little bit in. So that was part in yeah. the rip. Yeah. Yeah, the Yeah, and it yeah. was like that was very Sabbathy, but the verses were very Zeppelin-y. Right. Misunderstood was very Zeppelin-y on totally. the heavy part, but it was very Beatlesque in the, right. in the acoustic so and right. the orchestra part. Yeah. So we didn't think about it. We just yeah, kind of we just kind of uh, jammed yeah. and let things go where they went, and it worked. It worked. You know what I mean? But the lyrics, yeah. at that point, that's when, and we're talking about AIDS, and we're talking about all these different things that were happening at the time. Yeah. And we talk about Magic Johnson, and it was all the shit that was in the news, and we just kind of were dropping yeah. like flies. If we don't fucking get our shit straight, yeah. we're going to obliviate this fucking planet that we right. live on. Our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids are going to have nothing left. Right. Like, we need to fucking wake up. Yeah. Kind of a cautionary tale. Kind of. Yeah, well, did you think that this many years later you'd be talking about it? Magic Johnson would still be around? Because, I mean, there's been I didn't know because I was. Yeah, we were all freaked out back then. As as you were, and I was. I don't know how old you were. Oh, I was. I I remember it clearly. The last track was Drift Away, which I will say it's a ballsy move to end end an album like this on a ballad. You know, I mean, whose decision was it we're going to end the album with this song? You know, to be honest with you, like, I don't remember how we did the track listing or sequencing. Yeah. And it's funny because Drift Away, um, 
was a song that I wrote when I was in the screen. Yeah, when I listen to it, I hear it's all John Karabi. Well, it was in the screen. Yeah. And we were having some issues. I'll, I'll be honest. The Scream guys were having issues. Certain members weren't getting along with other members. And I was having the time of my life. Yeah. But on the other hand, I was fucking miserable. Like, we were fighting constantly about this and we were fighting about that. I was away from home. My son had just gotten diagnosed with diabetes. And I was away from my son and my wife and my kids. And, and just... And I was just sitting there going, fuck, man, dude. Like, I'm having a great time, but right. I'm not. Yeah. Like, there's all this business shit. We're fighting with each other. I've been gone, like, the scream. We went on tour for almost a year. My son had been diagnosed with diabetes. And I was just sitting there going, man, do, do I want to do this? Right. Do, like, is this really what... Like, I read all these magazines my whole life about Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith and Queen and right. David Bowie, and it's not what I thought it was. Like, yeah, yeah. do I want to do this? And I sat down, and I wrote that song, and and then shortly after I got the call from Motley, and I had the song back here on the back burner, and we were writing music for the record, and I just kind of showed him the tune, and... I had the lyrics and we worked it up. And the guys, I think, you know, Nikki and I used to write all the lyrics together. And I think Nikki literally changed about three words in the song. Yeah, it, it sounds was, very much from you. It, 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 it was. Yeah. And it was literally one of those things. I got to be honest with you, like, it's towards the end of the screen, right before I joined Motley, I was literally like, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you're brushing your teeth, you're washing your face, you're shaving. And you just kind of sit there and you stare in the mirror and you look at yourself and you account for your life. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I don't own anything. Uh, I'm making $200 a week. Like, I've got a family. I've been gone. This is really what I want to do, but it takes me away from my family. Do I really want to do this? Yeah, yeah but I love it. Right. You know. And I was having all these thoughts, and I was literally just sitting, looking at myself, truly in the mirror. Yeah. It's the first line in the song. Yeah. Look inside the mirror, and I don't know what I see. Like, what do I want to do? Like, where am I going? Where is this going to take me? Yeah. What it? You know what I mean? It's like a love letter to yourself. It, it's kind of. It kind of. It kind of. Well, I don't know if it was a love Not letter. Not a love but letter, it was but like it's, it's self-reflective. Very self-reflective. And to be honest with you, when I brought it to Motley, the guys in the band loved it. Yeah. Mick thought it was great. Nikki thought it was great. Tommy thought it was great. 
And we played it for the record label and the managers and the agents, and they were like, all right, this song blows. What? They fucking hated the song. In my opinion, that song has single written all over it. No, they were like, I, I can't even remember what artist, but they were like, this is like a Bon Jovi leftover, or this is like oh. this. And they were they just ripped it a new fucking ass because they were riding the grunge. And oh, and man. I just played it for the guys, and luckily for me, yeah, Nikki and Tommy and Mick went. This is a fucking great, a song. great song, and yeah. we're putting this on the fucking record. Fuck you guys. Yeah, and and we put it on and we recorded it, and Bob Rock heard it and loved it so we were all this is great yeah but nobody else wanted it on the record really? and we just said you know what fuck it we're doing it we're we're fucking putting it on the record whether you like it or I just not like how bold it is to end the record with it. you know what i got two words for you lick my balls yeah <laughs> it's going on the record nice and we did it was just a very and I'm sure like I don't give a shit who you are at some point in your life you're going to be brushing your teeth or shaving or combing your hair or trimming your mustache or beard and you're going to be looking in the mirror and going I did it I, I just did it not that long ago I was 50 years old and I had a very long talk with my dad and just passed away a few months ago and, and I was just sitting there going I've been doing this music thing for 30 plus years and I don't own anything what did I do this for what did I do this for like I own my car and I own my gear and yeah. my guitars and, but I don't own a house and you know now I'm married I own a house with my wife right. but at the time I didn't own anything and I was having this long talk with my dad it was a very bonding talk with my father and and I was sitting there going like I've done all this work my whole fucking life like what do I have to show for it and my dad was very clear he goes when I was a kid I always wanted to be an artist and I met your mother and I got married and we had you and then we had our kids and I took that path that I thought was the, what I should do to be a good dad. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? I had five kids and I'm a house and done all these things and I've taken care of my family. He goes, but the difference between you and I is you got married at a very, I got married when I was 20. Yeah. I married a woman with a daughter who I adopted and we had a son who's my drummer he goes but you got married and you took care of your family your mom got cancer you took care of her you got remarried again you took care of that wife because she had a bone disease and you've you've done all these things and you've maintained yourself and your family but he goes the difference between you and me is you did it doing what you love to do. Yeah. So 
And, and it was just the biggest thing my dad ever said to me. He goes, you're a bigger man than I'll ever be. Because you went for it. Because you went for it. Yeah. You fucking did it doing what you love to right. do. Awesome. And at that point, I went, That's you know what? what? Down at to. the end of the day, you're right. I'm, I'm not starving. I don't have a shitload of objects. You know, he who dies with the most toys isn't going to apply to me. No. But it doesn't matter. I've traveled the world right. playing acoustic guitar, playing in different bands or whatever. I've made music, I've made money, and I've paid for myself and my family, and I've taken care of everybody. And I, I, I've got a little money in my bank account, yeah. and I have a nice house and a great wife and great kids, and, yeah. and I've done it all just being John Karate. And it, my, that conversation I had with my dad put everything into perspective. Of course. And but that's the thing. Like I think that everybody at some point in their life looks in the mirror and goes, "Am I happy? Did I do everything I wanted to do? I took this path, but I really wanted to go that path." You know what I mean? Like everybody second guesses their life, and that's what drift away is about. It's about like you know when I says never thought I'd make it from playing a guitar. I meant it. Yeah. I, I never thought that I would make it right. and and sustain myself. He thought from, eventually I gotta grow up. I gotta grow up. Like, my dad even yeah. said it when I joined Motley, he's like, Do they have benefits? You know what I mean? I'm like, you know, but my dad was a very yeah. nuts and bolts guy. There's right. no Motley crew health. And I was the dreamer. I was the dreamer, you know what I mean? And and I've been able to do what I wanted to do by just fucking playing a guitar and putting a melody over an E chord or an A chord or a B chord. It may not be the greatest melody in the history of music, but I've sustained myself just being that guy. Yeah. And, you know, and that's what the song's about. It's like, you know what, second guess yourself all you want. You know what, at the end of the day, figure out what it is you want to do and just take that path and just be smart, be aggressive. Be patient, be, uh, you know, have all these things, fortitude, patience, like that, da, 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 and just do what you want to do. If you believe you can do it, it's attainable. Yeah. And that's it. That's all that song is about. I wrote that before I was ever in Motley. And it's funny because I was miserable, not, I don't want to say miserable. No. I was happy, but I was miserable at the same yeah. time. If that makes any you sense. Still right. on, on and the then climb. two weeks later, I got a phone yes. call from Motley. Yeah. And I'm in the biggest band in the fucking world. Right. And I'm like, prophetic. hey yeah. guys, check this fucking song out. You right. know what I mean? Da, 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 da. And they loved it. Management didn't. Whatever. I don't see how management couldn't like that song. They didn't. They truly didn't like the song. It, it's a it, song. It, it took a lot of it took a lot of kicking and screaming for us to get it on the record. Yeah. But we just said at the end of the day, Motley Crue are, are, are these six, I'll say six guys. Yes. It was me, Nikki, Tommy, Mick, Bob Rock, and Randy Stubb. Yeah. It's these six guys. These six guys are going to make a fucking record that you're asking me about 20 years later. Yeah. yeah. And at the end of the day, again, not to sound like a dick, but every fucking song on this record is still relevant today yeah. as it was 20 years ago. And that's and why I'm we're sitting here doing this. I'm proud of that, period, at the end of the day. Well, you've, I'm proud of it. you've been very generous with your time. 
to talk about this. And I, uh, I know our listeners are going to love hearing all yeah, these yeah. stories. So thank you so much for sitting down and spending this much time with us. About no worries, album. man. No worries. And uh, so you're going on tour with this album now, right? November 20th and 21st, we got two shows in uh, Wisconsin. We got a few booked in like Rochester, Albany. Uh, or now Rochester, Poughkeepsie. Okay. Um, it's it's just starting to get off the ground. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking by the end of this year, beginning of next year, there's going to be a lot of shows doing this cool. Motley '94 thing. So cool. well, hopefully you save cool. some uh, room in your schedule for Nashville. So I hope. Well, I'll... we're gonna we're gonna try and do some sort of a maybe a warm up show okay, before cool. we go out. So yeah, because yeah, we'll we, we want to be there for it. David will know and. Yeah, and I gotta thank uh, David Stonich who's sitting, sitting here right now. Thank you for uh, helping set this up. He was he was my best man, my uh, maid of honor, my photographer, <laughs> and my witness at my wedding. And uh, yes. So you made it all legal. Good man. Say hey, hi to the listeners, David. Made it legal. Hey, listeners. I am a listener myself. So, he is. Uh, glad to be here. That's how this all worked out. This David's is David Stonich, ladies and gentlemen. So thanks again, John, for doing this. Thank you for having me. Man, I just got to say on behalf of both of us, thanks so much to John Karabi for spending all that time hanging out with us. We're just drinking beers, and he's drinking what he's drinking. We're having a good time. We're conversing. And how much did you learn by this? A lot. And, you know, I thought I knew a lot, that most of what there was to know about this album, but until that, I had no idea how much he knew. Fantastic, you know. And, and thanks to uh, David Stonich, as I said on last week's show, for helping set it up. Because he, yeah. he was a big player in getting this set up. Super cool dude. Yeah, definitely. You'd never guess he was a Bears fan. <laughs> <laughs> You're really holding that against him, aren't you? <laughs> I'm a Packers fan. i got to yeah. hold it against them all. Yeah, the rivalries die hard. Yeah, you know it. So, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Thanks to John for coming on. Hey, guys, if you enjoyed this as much as we did, Share this on Facebook. Retweet it on Twitter. I'll name your. I'll put your name out next week. And more importantly, you help spread the word of the show, and you get more people to listen to this show. And we really appreciate. it. We do. We love each and every every single one of you so much. And I so much. Go to decibelgeek.com. The writers are doing a great job. Go uh, to the store thing and buy buy a T-shirt. We've got really really cool yeah. new design T-shirt out now. Designed by Ken Mills, our buddy from Podkiss. People are loving that T-shirt. They are, and it's going over really well. So um, You know, and you heard us talk about last week how the Meister and Billy Hardaway got these rock and roll famous women just hanging all over <laughs> them. You know what the key to that is? A Decibel Geek T-shirt. It, it never, it, it can't hurt. It helps also if you're a writer for our show. We're always looking for new talent. Yeah, we've added some new ones recently. Yeah, we have. Warren Money, welcome to the team. Love that guy. So, uh, guys, that's it for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week. All right.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.